Hi, I'm Darcy. And I'm Judy. And, and we're we are Women, Women of Watermark. Watermark. We welcome you to take this journey with us. We have over 40 years of communication and marketing experience that we're looking forward to sharing with you today. We're going to share with you our guests, uh, people that we've done business with, people that are experts in the industry, and really just have a lot of fun talking about marketing, communications, business strategies, and solving the problems that you might be having in your business. So welcome for the journey. We look forward to uh, engaging with you. We are so excited to have Chuck Painter with us today, visiting us on Just Wow. How are you doing today, Chuck? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. So we know Chuck through his philanthropic and volunteer efforts. However, we, before we get to that, we would like you to introduce yourself and tell us what you do in your everyday life. Well, my name's Chuck Painter. And in my day life, I uh, own a stock brokerage firm. Been uh, in the business for, I just totaled up the other day, 42 years. Wow, so long I guess time. <laughs> Um, the firm uh, is Painter, Smith & Amberg. We were established in 1982. And last count, uh, we've got close to $600 million in assets under management. Wow, wow. congratulations. That's impressive. That's like a more than full-time job there. Uh, yeah, and we've got, and, and quite small, we've only got seven of us full-time. I mean, that's it. We're just a little, you know, little operation with a lot of assets and a lot of clients. And yet you still have time to do what your passion is. So tell us a little bit about your passion and Southern California Railway Museum. Well, you know, realistically, I fell into it uh, because I don't like these uhs. Nothing was really my idea. The way we originally joined is we went to a rail festival and my wife, Judy, said we should join this. So I drug my feet for a month and she made me send the application in. Good old Judy and love that. <laughs> yeah, all, all Judy's are good. I'm all Judy's do that. Trust me. <laughs> I worked a few rail events, and then we had young kids. We moved a little farther away. We're up in Yucaipa now. The the commute got a little longer, so I was a very inactive member. Paid my dues, read the newsletter, occasionally stopped by, and this had to been I'm thinking about eight to ten years ago. Uh, once again, Judy said, hey, there's the, the member night. They're going to have the trolleys out. Why don't we go? Oh, I, I don't know anybody there. I'm very uncomfortable. No, we got to go. Who's going to know us? So she drags me down there. And we look out and we see a light on in barn seven out in the restricted area. And she says, let's see what's going on. It's a restricted area. We're members. It's a restricted area. So I followed her out to the restricted area. As and here do. was Jeff Williams. Yeah. Judy knows yeah. no boundaries. Yeah, she, so we go out there and we meet um, uh, Andrew Welty and uh, Jeff Williams, and they're working on the 108. And they were both dog tired. By this time, it's like 10 o'clock at night. And they said, we need some help. And I, I sympathized and pretended to be real sad and feel sorry for him. And Judy volunteered us. So can you stop for just down... a minute, Chuck? What is the 108? Tell our listeners what a 108 the, is. The 108 is a Santa Fe FP45 done in Santa Fe classic war bonnet colors. It was the last of a set of eight locomotives that were ordered by the Santa Fe for passenger service. It was built, I believe, in 1966. It's one of two Santa Fe units that are still operable. Santa Fe had a little higher survivability rate. They had eight of them. 
Um, I don't know the fate of the rest of them. No, but that's Absolutely awesome. gorgeous locomotive. Yeah, gorgeous locomotive. Uh, daughter Liz and I probably spent two years of my life mucking out bilges and chipping paint. But so I our, pretty so much our listeners know th- this isn't. These aren't little small little toy no. trains that run along on a table. These are full size, full running locomotives. Is that correct? Oh yeah, this thing's 77 feet long, and I'm not sure what the weight is, but it's big. It's a and lot. 3,500 horsepower, turbocharged, operating speed, I think 95 miles an hour. We don't take it that fast on our track. But um, that was, really, I'm quite proud of my, my time on that, even though I was doing all the low-tech stuff. Uh, I've later shifted into, I can't even keep track of how many things I got my finger into, uh, events, same way. Uh, we were at a, um, it was a safety briefing, mandatory. We're all there. They were uh, recruiting for Thomas. Thomas the Tank and Engine. Thomas yeah. the Tank yeah, Engine, which Thomas. is and That's one of our best money makers. And we're getting this sad story about we didn't have volunteers. And, and I, I empathize how sad it really was. <laughs> Oh, and, um, and Judy to the rescue. And Judy volunteered. <laughs> yeah, Judy signed me up. All shifts, all days. Oh and goodness. out of that actually came this Thomas script and all the stories we now have on events. Because I found myself, I was actually working as a loader my first day. Uh, there was not enough, I felt, adult supervision on the train. I mentioned the loader. He says, get on the train. So I'm standing there and here's like 80 people staring at me in this passenger coach. And I'm going, this is very awkward. So I invented a story, which was absolutely terrible. Nobody liked it. So I tried again, it got worse. And then I went home, watched three hours of Thomas videos. <laughs> and, and now you know the stories, right? <laughs> yep. Or as Paul Harvey that's, says, that's the rest, the rest of, of the, the story. story. So it, it's everything I've done, it's sort of, I fell into it. I mean, I'm on the finance and endowment committee and it was like, we need help. Oh, gee, that's too bad. Thank you. We'll get you on the board or on the committee. But, so but you're not just on a committee, are you? Well, I, I'm on the group that makes the decisions. We restructured the entire investment portfolio. We're actually following what the... Uh, investment policy statement said, and because of that, we've done quite well. But aren't you also on the board? Oh, that's another long story. Yeah, <laughs> um, you've come a long and way. And I'll know from Saturday if I'm volunteering. Saturday, I'll find out if I'm still on the board. But uh, yeah, that's another one. I was um, uh, hounded for about three years. People asked me to run. I said, "Well, nobody knows who I am. Come on, I'm a nobody down here." And we were at that uh, Marklin dinner, and I was sitting at the table with John Mobley and my dear wife, Judy, and John was chairman of the board at the time, and he looks at me and he says, I want you on the board. And, of course, I sympathized and all that, you know, and Judy looked at me and she says, you have to run. Okay. (laughs) And somehow I got elected. Not just somehow. I think the the value you provide to the museum and to the people and the experiences Chuck is 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 priceless yeah exactly absolutely I mean I I found it quite a humbling experience getting elected and of course my big thing is you know do a good job for them and don't let them down 
Well, well you definitely yep, have done exactly. that. We've had the opportunity to work with you on many of your projects there, specifically with the events, but also we dipped our toes into more of the fundraising in the last company year, the last couple of years. And today I'd like to focus on the whole buy a tie, sort of break it down from start to finish and, and how it came about as an opportunity to fundraise and, you know, kind of how we worked together through the process. And really also what your hesitations were, right? Or what your expectations were, both. So let's start at the beginning. Well, how, did this, how did this concept even come to fruition? It's a little buried in the memory banks, but we have, we were building out the website because when we start, first started, and you were part of that, mm-hmm. yes. we first started building yes. out that website we had uh, the most common page on our website when we started was 404. <laughs> yes. yes, it was. Which, I was so excited which, which when we were some, building that out. Some people, 404 is an error. Yeah, an error page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And we had uh, lost all the archive material that's still being rebuilt into it. And we knew we had to use it not only as an outreach, buy tickets and all that, tell our story, but social media is where fundraising is done nowadays. The world's changed. And Biotai was, I think, our first attempt, a coordinated attempt at doing something on the social media. Yeah, we had uh, talked a lot about uh, uh, social media fundraising for a bit, but the organization wasn't quite ready. And it was really right. nice, I think, when we kind of put this idea and concept together with you when you decided you wanted to do a fundraiser and we said, well, what about this? You were you were hesitant, but you were willing to take the leap with us and, yeah. and go forward. How did you feel at that time when we were giving you this idea of how you could do this particular fundraiser? Well, the, the normal terror of the unknown <laughs> and the natural fear of failure, but I, I knew we had to do it and we had to take the leap because if we didn't take the leap, then we would be just kicking the can down the road and lose more time and money. And I think, the, you know, we talked about it, batted it around. It had to be eye catching or something people could relate to. I'm not even sure where the name Biotai came from, but that's it all got Darcy. Catchy. And I'm going to have Darcy respond to that one because she is really the master of words and the ability to come up with creative content is her utmost strength. And so, how did you come up with Biotai? So, one of the things that we had talked about is in social media, um, you need to tell your story. And you can imagine a full scale railroad museum has a lot of projects that need funding. But we had to make it something that would be understandable. So when when they explained to us that they had to change out the ties in the track, people knew what a tie is, right? You, you know yeah, what a tie they know, is. Who they would, know what railroad tracks are. And so um, through Chuck, your help, and some others, we were able to quantify what the cost to replace each tie is. Because to look at you know miles of track, that number's monumentous and and people are like i can't give that so what does it cost to replace a tie and so really um they were buying a tie you know for each 44 dollars someone contributed you were able to purchase and install 
a new tie or a refurbished tie for the railway. So it really, I think for me, it broke it down to what's the simplest thing and, and kind of a play on words, buy a tie is easy, right? But people could see what it was. And the more ties you bought, the further the track went, right? You could Mm -hmm. visualize how many feet that was. So it, Mm -hmm. it, so it has all the elements of a successful fundraiser. So we have a, a complex concept that was broken down into literally bite-sized pieces. It had an easily told story that could be, you know, go viral just simply by the simplicity of this particular fundraiser. And it was easy for people because it was a bite-sized piece. You know, Mm -hmm. you think about, like you were saying, miles of of track is hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they could visualize, hey, I'm going to buy that tie and help get that track one step further. So really simplified a very complex concept and, and executed it accordingly. Because even if they're not sure what a railroad tie is, a tie puts things together, right? So there's a lot of ways mm-hmm. you can look at it. It ties it all together, no pun intended there, but it connects it. And so if mm-hmm. even if they've envisioned that they were buying a necktie, to me, you know, they, they understood that the pieces had to fit together. And yeah. once you, we were able to get some great pictures, we were able to get some good video that explained what all this was in imagery. So to Judy's point, buy a tie in its simplicity helped it go viral. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And so um, what was the outcome? Now, I'm doing this off the top of my head, but we took in between fifteen and $17,000. But where the tie-in, uh, the, the where the follow-through <laughs> was, is you can see the handiwork, like the, that whole rotten siding there in front of Cottonwood is now being replaced. Right. And that i mean that is a a mega accomplishment along with other spots i think we should probably take a picture of their handiwork because it's been amazing what they've been doing but then that taught us because then we had our year-end fundraiser at the end of 20 and really it was that was a big thing i mean we lost the year no events right and we came out and did a year-end appeal and we used, it was multifaceted. We did the standard with the mail and all that, but we, it also was on the social media. And we raised between 120 dollars and $140,000. And we blew it out of the ballpark. I don't even remember what we called it except year-end appeal and explained that, hey, the doors have been closed and we need to basically keep the lights on. And the, 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 the uh, response was just overwhelming. Well, and I think the other thing to your point, the buy a tie was early on in COVID, right? So we had just mm-hmm. shut down and it allowed the, the museum to go and make some assessments of what was critical and ties on a railway track or railroad track is safety. It's public safety, right? And we want to keep those mm-hmm. tracks rolling. So people could relate to that. When you, let's fast forward seven or eight months now you've been sheltered and shuttered for seven or eight months. Your membership and your supporters got it. They'd been stuck in, mm-hmm. inside too for seven or eight months. So it became something that you're not asking for money and doing a fundraiser constantly. Right. But yet you were able, and this is, this is where when we talk about working the plan, this is working the plan. You know, some people approach marketing differently and it's just like sort of hitting or or shotgun. So we're going to throw stuff out there and we're hoping it sticks to the wall. 
But when you work the plan, this is a really good example of that. So the communication was constant throughout the year. We kept in Mm -hmm. communication with the members. We kept in communication with the community. The small fundraiser was a nice little bite-sized piece that a lot of people took a hold of. It was successful. So by the time you got to your year-end appeal, they'd been communicated with throughout the year. They had seen success, and they were seeing. There were some pictures early on, mm-hmm. I think, of, of some of the ties going in, which is really important that you must not just mm-hmm. ask for money, but show how that money is working. And then, so of course, when they got, by the time you get to the year in appeal, we're, we want to be a part of this successful organization that is getting stuff done, even in one of the most challenging years that we've had in a hundred years. So the plan mm-hmm. worked. You just need to work the plan. Well, t- to your point. Judy, and even to yours, Chuck, you know, like, you know, I was, I didn't know what we were doing from your perspective. Like we did, but you hadn't been through this process before, but you understood that the world had changed and that this Mm -hmm. was the best time at all to try it. And to Judy's point, communication, ongoing communication, both internal and external. So, you know, you have your group of volunteers that are volunteering in the barns all the time, and they have their own email thread, I know, and their own little group. Mm -hmm. You have the greater membership, you have employees, you have donors, you have sponsors. They don't necessarily need to be bombarded daily with information, Mm -hmm. but they need to provide enough information that continues to build trust and credibility and keeps them informed so they stay engaged. You know, you cannot just ask you know, can't do a communication plan when you only want money. It has to be even right. just to tell them the good stuff. Um, sometimes tell them the bad stuff, but at least inform them so that they have the option to engage in the process. Mm-hmm. And and keep it consistent. And, and with the website, for example, we were really um, working hard with your team to make sure that website went up because we understood the importance of it, not just for guests to go there to buy tickets but that internal and external communication to give them a place to go if you know at two o'clock in the morning i want to donate a hundred dollars to you i should be able to do that i shouldn't have to Mm -hmm. wait for an email to come around or maybe find some time to go over there and and drop it into the donation bucket at the at the museum itself giving your audience multiple ways that they can engage with you that they can donate to your organization and to whatever they're passionate about because specifically with the train museum we we often just say the train museum but there's a lot more than just trains there you have the harvey house you have the trolleys you have the signal yard i mean and there are a group of people in each one of those areas that are very passionate about that specific area right and, mm-hmm. and, and to, to your point also, when, when we talk about COVID, mm-hmm. one of the things that the um, train museum had was a longstanding newsletter. And COVID mm-hmm. kind of put the end to that for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. And so finding a new way, the whistle stop was an email that we put together that monthly would tell them what's going on, even when there was nothing going on as it relates to mm-hmm. events. But they still right. needed to know, you know, the finance committee is still making these investments. We're still doing very well. We are, you know, solid. There, you don't need to worry. Um, we're still planning events when we can open again. We're looking at how we can open, right, with mask mm-hmm. mandates and social distancing and all those things that had to be employed in order to reopen the doors. So I think it's really important that I hate to use the pandemic pivot, but this was an opportunity to pivot and to learn from it. So it was a springboard Mm -hmm. to your point, Chuck, of bouncing up to the next level, right? 
It's not like the train mm -hmm. museum happened there overnight. It's been there for, you know, 60 years. Speaking of that, what was the, the fundraising tactics in the years prior to starting to work this type of a plan? It was uh, a letter at the end of the year. And usually the board would select something. And uh, it was usually, I mean, you didn't have, we didn't have the online link. We didn't have the, the widget, as we call it. We didn't have the QR codes. And we typically would raise about 30,000. That seemed to be average. And the thing is, with, of course, a letter, you got one shot. If you got it on the website, you got it on Facebook, you got the drip campaign, it's reminding them because, oh, I got the letter, you ought to do something about that. Now, all of a sudden, it's like New Year's Eve and, uh-oh, I need a tax deduction. <laughs> You've got this link out there. So it, it taught us because we, we had the infrastructure was there. We never capitalized it. Like through our accounting system, we can set up a widget, which we can put on our website that you push a button, put in credit card information, goes right in the bank, the donations tracked, and even creates a donation receipt. And we'd never activated it. And of course, Biotai allowed us to activate it. Yep, and to try and, it in a safe space, right? Because it was- Oh, yes, and it's been a blessing. And then later with the QR codes, because when this started, you know, What's those funny things with those boxes? <laughs> QR <laughs> codes went through their little life of their own. They were really popular when they came out, and but they weren't very user-friendly, which then made them not so popular. And then when they figured out how to make it part of the camera, it's and COVID also just blew it up. So, yeah, used quite often yeah. now. And so that opens up just another gateway. And I, I think the other thing I think we've learned over this is whatever you do, you've got to make it user-friendly. You've got to make it easy for that donor. So to do a donation where I get a letter and I have to fill out something, send a check, that's work. If I click on a link, put in my name and credit card, push a button, that's not a lot of work. But to your point, I'm going to say that however people feel comfortable donating, whether you mm -hmm. still need to do a letter once in a while, it's not yep. a bad thing. Because some people still yep. just want to write the check and don't want to go online and do any of that And that's stuff. perfectly right. acceptable. So to your point in the beginning of this, Chuck, we had not done a social media fundraiser before. We did not have the ability digitally on your website to accept donations. So that was mm -hmm. all in addition to the annual appeal or annual letter. Um, I think the mm -hmm. the result was because we were communicating more frequently with your membership, they felt more engaged. I know yep. that pre-COVID, we didn't see you as much as we do now. We actually get to meet with you weekly, which has really mm -hmm. been helpful and keeping um, us in tune with what the volunteers are looking for or needing from the internal side of it, right? We, we kind of know what your market wants and, and your ticket buyers. But you have really allowed us to understand, first of all, what the needs are of the museum at a grassroots level, like the ties. Like we can talk about that mm -hmm. pretty locomotive all you want to, but if you can't run it on track, you have a problem. Can't right. go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got a paperweight. Exactly. So I, I think that that's that goes back to the point that when I think of good things coming out of COVID for the museum, I think the collaboration between all levels um, and, mm -hmm. and the outcome is, is something that is, is also something to be celebrated. And I want to add something, and you can delete this if you think I've gone off script, but because of the communication, and we've been able to communicate things like we're doing this, hey, we're solvent, we're going to make it. Uh, the morale is a whole lot better. I mean, I can feel it. It's palpable. 
people are in good spirits. That's wonderful. And that is worth, again, that is priceless. That is priceless. You, you really just cannot put a price on the morale of a, of a nonprofit organization. And keeping everybody informed is one of the key elements to keeping everybody's hopes and spirits up about all the different things you're doing. Because you are doing amazing things out at the museum and will continue to do so for the next 60 some odd years. Right. I think that you nailed it. The culture has evolved to something that's very positive and less siloed. Yeah. Thank you, Chuck, so much for joining us today. For our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about the Southern California Railway Museum, make a donation, volunteer, or join, visit SoCalRailway.org. The links are right there for you. Uh, We'd like to hear what you think about it. And um, if you have a chance to visit, we'd like to hear what your experience was like. Yes, and for any nonprofits out there that are looking for a plan, that want to look at uh, how they could do their fundraising or marketing, give us a call. We're happy to chat with you and help you out in any way we can. For more information, visit watermarkassociates.com. That's watermarkassociates, all spelled out, forward slash podcast. You'll find today's resources on there, and you'll have the opportunity to give us your comments or suggestions for future episodes. We look forward to you tuning in for the next time, and hopefully we'll hear what you have to say. 